I am going to uh, look at this passage and, and explore it a bit and jump back through chapter 7 a little bit. So if you want to follow in a Bible and haven't got one, feel free to go and grab one from the back uh, as we begin now. Um, uh, also, I didn't say before, but if, you are, if you've joined St. Paul's over the last few weeks and you would uh, like to know a little bit more about us and get to meet some of the leaders here at the church, I'd love to invite you to our welcome supper, which is on Monday the 19th of September. If you could just put it in your diaries, uh, 7.30, there's no charge for it. We gather together uh, for a meal and um, uh, a little bit of a presentation about the church and lots of discussion. So uh, a real great, it's always a great evening, but just an invitation to come along to that. And if that's you and you'd like to know more about that, please come and see me afterwards. Chris will be on this inside door, but I'll be in the welcome area at the back and um, would love to uh, meet you there and um, uh, give you an invitation to that that, uh, welcome supper uh, particularly. So we're in uh, this passage in John and um, I want to set the context for it to uh, uh, explore really why Jesus made the statement that he is uh, the light of the world. Uh, If you go back to the beginning of chapter 7, chapter 7 verse 2, you'll see there that um, it says, but soon it was time for the festival of shelters. Um, Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem, uh, and John chapter 7 through 9 reflect this festival. He'd gone up to Jerusalem to be part of uh, a festival. Um, And it's the festival of tabernacles. Um, actually, which is also called shelters or booths. Um, and uh, it's the third of the great big uh, pilgrimage feasts that the um, Jewish community celebrated. And it, they, they anchored these feasts in the agricultural system. Um, so they were opportunities to bring offerings in or to pray for Harvest. So they're at the beginning of a harvest or at the end of a harvest uh, as part of the year. Uh, the first of the um, uh, great feasts is Passover, uh, which recognized the beginning of the grain harvest and spring coming. So they're, they're um, uh, bringing some uh, crops in and they're also sowing seeds for the summer harvest. And uh, they come and celebrate Passover. And Passover also looks back to the time when uh, God passed over them during uh, um, uh, time in, uh, uh, in Egypt. And then seven weeks later come Pentecost, uh, which celebrates the end of the grain harvest. And of course, that was the gathering in of the offering of gifts to God, but also has become that place of the Pentecost is the celebration of the birth of the church. And so uh, the offering of ourselves to God is linked to this celebration of Pentecost, which comes at the end of May. And then seven weeks later, and then then at the end of the grain harvest, there's the last feast. And this is the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's celebrated as they harvest in the trees from the trees and the vines. So they they bring the the wine harvest in, the grapes in, and they bring the the fruit in from the trees. And, And it's a time of coming again and celebrating God's goodness to them or praying to them. And at each of these harvests, 
the Jewish men were required to pilgrimage from wherever they were up to Jerusalem, and they were required to stay there seven days. If they were going to do it properly, they would stay for seven days. And, and we know that Jesus' family was part of this uh, 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 history of pilgrimage. We know from when he was a boy that he got lost, didn't he, as a young lad, as their family went up to Jerusalem. So he would have been used to going up three times a year, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and uh, would have uh, that the whole year would have been planned around these three. The, the whole year he got away. The whole year would have been planned around these three big pilgrimages, and um, it becomes part of their um, their cycle. And so that would have been, as it were, their holiday time, their celebration time. And as they celebrated, they'd have sacrificed bulls and rams and lambs and all sorts of things uh, during these uh, seven days of celebration. So Jesus is in Jerusalem at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And there would have been thousands of people there. Now, as part of the Feast of the Tabernacles, like the other two great feasts, it also, the Feast of the Tabernacles, looks back and celebrates God at work with his people. So the Feast of the Tabernacles looks back to the time when God was faithfully with his people in a period in the desert when they had come out of Egypt in the 40 years of wandering. And they... um, uh, look back to that time when God's presence was um, indicated amongst them, celebrated amongst them. Do you remember the story by the uh, pillar of cloud at day and the pillar of fire at night? So when it came to the Feast of the Tabernacles, do you know, my children last night, they were taking me off when I was preaching. And they were saying, you do this, Dad. I've just realized I do it. I I said, do I really? I've just realized I do that. I don't know why I do that. Have I got lots of other irritating habits? I have. Oh, dear, that's really bad, isn't it? So um, I'm trying to keep my hands a little bit more tied this morning. I'm very conscious of it now. To remember, to remember what they were doing, to remember the feast that they were celebrating, to remember God's presence with them during their time in Exodus, during their time in the desert... During the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, when they all came up to celebrate it, they would light, they would, on, on huge stands, they would have massive bowls filled with oil and, uh, or wicking, and they would light them throughout the night. And the glow, the, the history books say, the glow of the lamps, these oil lamps, would leave no part of Jerusalem untouched. There would be some sort of glow in every part of Jerusalem. And it was a reminder to them of God's faithfulness to them during their time in the desert of the pillar of fire that came at night that reminded them then of God's presence with them. Now that's really important because this is the feast that Jesus is at in John chapter 8. He's come to it at John chapter 7 and he's still there in John chapter 8. And in that context, he's teaching in the temple. And he says, I am the light of the world. Now, they're immediately making connections that you and I don't make. They're immediately making connections, which is why the rest of the passage goes on and the Pharisees challenge his validity 
of claim to who he is. Because they make that instant connection back to, well, hold on, the light that we celebrate is God's presence with us. And Jesus' claim is, I am the light. I am God's presence with you. And they say, well, who are you to say that? Who are you to make that claim? What right do you have? What or who gives you your authority to make such a claim? And you suddenly understand why they're putting that challenge in. They're putting that challenge in because of who he says he is. I am the light of the world, he says. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness. Because you'll have a light that leads to life. And of course, the light in the desert, when they were in the desert for 40 years, if they followed the light, the light led to life. God promised to be faithful to them and walk with them. He's making an absolutely huge claim here to be the same God who is in the cloud and the fire. Of course, the Pharisees immediately come back to him, knowing what he's saying, and uh, complain that he's making false claims. Well, come on. Come on. In this context, when he's teaching in the temple, the lights are glowing, and he says, so now I'm the light. I'm the one you're to look to. I'm the one you're to follow. I'm the one you're to go after. What right do you have to say that, they say? How can you, uh, you're making false claims about yourself. How can you claim to be so significant in our lives? Now, I want to make two other connections back so that we can understand the passage a bit more. The Jews, when uh, were rescued out of slavery in Egypt, we've used that language in the liturgy this morning of the baptism, they were released from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. The Jews uh, living in slavery in Egypt, to them, God came as a light through Moses, gave Moses the leadership to lead them out of slavery into the place of freedom. And Jesus is saying, I'm the same light. The Jews now, in John chapter 8, are living under Roman occupation, and they're looking for someone to lead them out of occupation. They're looking for someone to bring political change. They're looking for someone to give them new leadership and lead them freely and freshly in the ways of God. And so there are two absolute connections here that Jesus is making. The the people are looking for a Messiah, someone who will come and enable them to rule themselves again. And Jesus comes and says, I'm the one. I'm the light. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one you're to follow. I'm the one who will lead you out. I'm the one who offers you good news. No wonder they come back and challenge you. Well, hold on. You're just that scruffy chap who's the son of the carpenter. You know, what right do you have to make such enormous claims? Now, we're in John chapter 8. We can go back through John. John's an incredible gospel. Uh, John's the gospel of signs and sayings. If you ever look at the gospel of John, that's what you need to remember. It's the gospel of signs and sayings. There There are seven major signs, and all the signs point to, John is pointing with the signs through to, Uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. All the signs point towards what he's doing. Where in John chapter 8, some of the signs have already happened. So they already know this guy is not just an ordinary guy. You know, through him, 
Water's been turned into wine. Anybody else prayed for that gift in their lives? I don't know if you prayed for that gift to have. Have you prayed for that gift? Anybody else pleading for that spiritual gift? No? That was, that was his first one. People who have been sick have been healed. New life has been given to them. People who have been diseased have been made new again. People who have been blind can now see. People who have been dead, Lazarus, we'll get to that a bit further in John, who is dead, is then raised again to life. A sign, a sign of uh, what is to come. So the sign of Lazarus' death and resurrection is the sign that points to Jesus' own death and resurrection. And then it's the gospel of sayings. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the gateway to glory. I am the path you are to follow. I am the light of the world. I'm the one. I'm the one. He's, he's building this picture. So they've only got to look back in his life, actually, which is why there's such challenge, because he's disturbed them. He's disturbed who they are. They're looking for someone who'll lead them out, but actually they don't want to let go of what they've got. The pharisaical leaders, the, the leaders who uh, are seen as the, those in authority over the people, they don't want to let go of what they have. Uh, they want to hold on to their leadership. And of course, when someone else comes up and says, well, I'm the way, they want to go, oh, hold on, hold on, we, we, we're, we're the bosses around here. And he says, no, 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 you're looking for me, you've been looking for me, the people have been looking for me, I'm the answer. I'm the one you've been hoping for. And, and, and notice how he does it, he does it in such a wonderful way. He comes with this incredible message, a message not of oppression, not of putting people things on people, not of demanding things from people. But Jesus comes, he comes to the least and the last, he comes to the fringes of society. He goes to those who are broken. He goes to the wounded. He goes to the hurting. He goes to the ostracized. And he says, I want to include you. I want to include you in who I am. So he's got this incredible message. But in the light of all of that, what does this um, passage say to us today? Well, I want to make those connections and just bring out three tiny little things. The first is this. It indicates that Jesus brings the presence of God. Just as the fire in the Old Testament indicated the presence of God to the people of God who were stumbling around in darkness looking for a way out, Jesus says... I bring the light, the presence of God, in whatever situation you have in your life. The fire and the cloud represented the activity of God in the midst of the people in the Old Testament. The pillar of cloud would descend whenever Moses was to receive instructions and stand in the entrance of the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. There, God would speak to him face to face. And the people would see a great light and they would stop what they were doing and they would turn and they would worship and in the same way Jesus as the light of the world assures us of the presence of God he's our constant companion if we choose to follow him in our lives he's the unseen guest at every meal he's the unheard person in every conversation He's in every room you're in. He's, he's in every part of your life. He's there the whole time. 
His invitation to the people listening to him in this context of the great feast of the tabernacles is to say, if you're looking for the one to follow who will bring the presence of God, the presence of God that will show the presence of God, that will be the one who will guide you, then I am here. I am the one who you've got to come after. I'm the one who will guide you into the way of life. Jesus is the great um, uh, light of life. As the, the, col- the columns of cloud and fire were for the old people in the Old Testament in Moses' day, so Jesus is for us today. And, and I don't know about you, we were, we were on holiday in the south of France when all the riots were going on here and we were following closely what was happening. And, um, uh, you know, we as a nation, we, do need, we need help. We need help. We need someone to follow and guide us out. But, you know, the thing is, if that's a human person, then there's fallibility there. There's, there can be fault there. There's all sorts of things. But if we would choose to follow God, if we would choose to follow God afresh, he'll guide us and lead us in ways that will bring life to our community. We have such an opportunity with all that's gone on to say to people, you know, this is the way. And, and just like Jesus was... Um, Rejected here, uh, accused here, challenged here, so Christians will be today. But we've got this enormous, incredible hope in our hearts and this great message, this message of good news that we can take to people. So the first thing that, that Jesus being the light tells us is that he is the presence of God. He was the presence of God then, he challenged them to receive it. They said, who gives you your authority to say this? And he says, well, my father does actually. And, and his, uh, the signs of what he'd done before and his death and resurrection validated uh, his claims then that he is the one that we are to follow. Secondly, uh, what this gives us is it, it says if he's the one we're to follow, it gives us God's protection. Um, because that's what the uh, cloud um, in uh, the Old Testament and the fire in the Old Testament promised the people. If, if God's with you, you will know God's protection. Um, I think that a life that is marked by the presence of God will also know the protection of God. And if you have a life like that, then it's a life that is surely blessed. And it's an invitation to you and me. Uh, that, that's what we are invited to if we accept Jesus as the light of the world. We're invited to a life where we know the presence of God in our lives and knowing the presence of God, we will know the protection of God uh, in our lives. We're invited just to say yes to Jesus as the light of the world. We'll follow you. We'll follow your instructions for life. And his instructions for life are so absolutely wonderful. The way in which he lived his life is wonderful. Yeah, I'll follow that way. I'll follow that. That's what my children said. I did that as well. I just realised that I'm doing that. Stop that. Must not. I need sort of like cufflinks behind me to get my hands out of here. The 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 um, uh, the way in which he lived his life is worth following. It it's a way that puts others first. It's a way that prefers others. I had a lovely email conversation with somebody this week. It was someone I prayed for at New Wine. I prayed for them actually with my son, Joss. And uh, 
we'd had. It was the final evening at New Wine. Any of you have not been, it's a Christian conference. There's about 12,000 people there. And final evening, and I'd been speaking. And get to the end, I, I assure you, get to the end of the final evening, and you're thinking, right, I just want to run and hide in my caravan now, you know, and you know, all that sort of stuff. And we were, you know, there. And uh, most people had gone, and we'd been trying to get away, but had been cured people to chat to, which is a delight, actually. And then this woman came in, uh, just as I finished speaking to the last person, and she said, oh, good, she said, you're still here, I prayed you'd be here. And I was thinking, it's your fault I'm not having a cup of coffee then. That, you know, I could be sitting at home now having a nice cup of coffee, and you prayed a silly prayer that I'd be here. We don't want that happening. And she said, I was listening in my tent on the furthest point of the field to what was said this evening, she said, and I just felt I needed to come and be prayed for. And I wanted to come and be prayed for by you. And I said, well, I said, you can be prayed for by my son if you like. And he's 11 years old and he was standing next to me. And I said, what do you want prayer for? And we had this conversation. And we prayed for her. And um, I had a lovely email from her this week. And she said, you know, thank you for your prayers. And this is what's been happening. And, and uh, I was able to respond. She said, you know, I'm not quite there yet. And I was able to respond and just say, you know, God often is at work when our focus is not on ourselves, but when we focus on others. Because it seems to me that's when the power of God is present. We live in a me culture. I want. You know, it's all about me. It's all about what's going on in my life. But actually it's not, you know. It's about what we can do for others. And isn't that so what is wrong with our society today? It's all about me. But actually it's not, you know. It's all about what we can do for somebody else. That, that's where the blessing comes. And that's the life that Jesus demonstrated. His whole life is that of a servant. It's of a life poured out that other people would know the blessing of God. His whole life. And that's what we're invited to live as well. God's protection, his invitation to you and me is to live a life of the presence of God and the protection of God, living our lives as he lived it. Now, we baptised young Theo this morning. We welcomed uh, young Liam this morning. Uh, what a lovely thought that um, uh, those two uh, little fellows would know something of the presence and protection of God throughout their lives. That's what we pray. That's what we pray, that they wouldn't grow up to be a, it's all about me. But they would grow up to go, what can I contribute to this world? What difference can I make? How can I bless other people? You know, and it's, it's not just for them, of course. Any point in our lives we can say yes to God. And if we haven't done so before, we can choose to receive God even today. To say, yes, I will follow him. He's the one I'll put my hope in. He's the one I will secure my future with. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus says so much in that statement. He says, I'm the presence of God and I'm your protection. So I wonder what might be going on in your life at the moment that you need God's protection in. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in finances. Maybe it's in a future decision you're taking. Maybe it's about your career. Maybe it's about your home, um, uh, your housing, all sorts of areas. God would love to be involved in those decisions. Don't, don't go doing them on your own. Don't go making them on your own. Allow the presence and the protection of God in to your lives.
And the third and final thing that uh, we see here is that the, the fire and the cloud in Exodus guided the people. And, and uh, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one to follow. He'll be our guide in life. That's what it's about. We're to, we're to follow him as our guide. As the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, they had no idea how to get to the promised land, but they trusted in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They trusted in the presence and protection of God. And, and, and we, in a sense, uh, the, the, you know, whatever the future is for our lives, there's a, there's a possibility of a blank canvas there. Then if we choose to step in the will and the way of God... He'll guide us. He'll guide us that our lives will make a difference. I don't know about you, but I want to get to the end of my life and think, I, I, I did something significant. I made a difference somewhere in my life. I, I won't just get to the end of my life and think, well, you know, I had a ball. I want to get to the end of my life and think, someone is blessed. People are blessed because I existed. And, and that's just a small way that would be. But if we all do it, it becomes bigger. And it makes a difference in uh, this world. Jesus, as the light of our world, is the gu- our guide today. He shows us out of, the way out of darkness. He overcomes fear and evil. He is the truth against a world of ignorance and follow, folly. He gives us wisdom in the decisions we make. You know, friends, we should passionately seek God's will uh, as we make decisions about the future. Lindsay and I read a book this holiday by a guy called Francis Chan. And um, I, was so, uh, I was so challenged by it. It's such a challenging book. As a guy who just put his life right into the centre of the will of God and chose only to do what he asked him to do. And um, uh, it, it took me a couple of days just to get over reading it. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like oh golly, you know. Am I... Am I not passionate enough in my life? Do I not have enough of God in my life? And, and the challenge for all of us is that. The reason, the reason why I'm really interested in it, because I'm trying to get, he hasn't said yet, but I'm trying to get Francis Chan to come and be the main speaker at New Wine uh, next year. If he comes, it'll be a world coup. I'll be so pleased. So uh, the invitation's out there, and we're having a lovely conversation together about it. Um, but if he comes, it'll he'll bring phenomenal challenge. But he, he encourages us to be passionate about our relationship with God. It's such an important thing uh, in life. There's no better place to be, there's no better place to live than in the centre of God's will. If we live in the centre of God's will, then he will bring meaning to our disappointments and difficulties. And it seems to me that our society needs a person like that, the person to follow. Um, uh, notice also how Jesus lives this out. He says in the passage, he says, Look, Jesus said to the people, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling around the darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees reply, You're making false claims. Jesus said, No, they're valid claims. Even though I make them about myself, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me with all your human limitations, but I'm not judging anyone. I love that. I love that. He says, look, look, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to give you life and a future. 
He's just demonstrated that with a woman caught in adultery. Remember that back at the beginning of chapter 8. They're going, the law says we should stone her. And he says, okay, you who are without sin, you can stone her. The rest of you go home, have a cup of tea and reflect on your own life. Didn't quite say that, but that's what I think he said. And one by one, they dropped their rocks. And they went home and went, well, I'm not sure I have the right to judge her, actually. And Jesus looks up at her and he says, did they not judge you? Then neither do I. They're such powerful words. Go sin no more. Go change the way in which you live your life. The, the good news of the Christian gospel is such good news. It's such good news. And Jesus says in, in, in our passage in chapter 8, he says, Look, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging anyone. I'm offering you a new way of life, a way of life that brings light and hope and help. And I guess my invitation this morning, you know, I can't speak on this passage without giving this invitation. My invitation this morning is, it, if you don't know the presence of God in your life, if, if you don't know the protection of God in your life, if you don't know the guidance of God in your life, then this morning, today, is an opportunity to say yes. Today is a day to say, do you know what, I think I might draw a line in the sand and I might step into the way of God and I'll live my life this way from now on. But maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I am a Christian, Mark, and I live my life well and I'm, I know the presence of God and the protection of God and the guidance of God, but I've got some stuff at the moment. I could know a bit more of his blessing. I could know a bit more of his presence. I need his guidance. Well, we'd love to pray for you this morning. Would you stand with me? Could we do that together?